There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Story Corner, from the Gruffalo to the Hunger Games and beyond. So I shall explain how things will work today. Today's show is slightly different. Until one o'clock on the show today, we're going to be having a discussion slash debate with a number of different guests, young readers, grown-up readers, children's authors, and a librarian about the shortlist for one of the UK's oldest and most prestigious children's book awards. There are two, one for illustration called the Kate Greenaway Medal and one for writing called the Carnegie Medal. I should say probably the Silip Kate Greenaway Medal and the Silip Carnegie Medal. Do you know what the Silip stands for? Mary Rose, our guest in the studio. Because I <laughs> of tried course, look, I, I tried I, I'm a member of okay. the Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals. Well done. <laughs> Phew, that was lucky. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. I think it's a good point to give you your official introduction. Mary Rose Grief, their librarian at Heartland International School and winner of the School Librarian of the Year Award 2019. <laughs> That's with good reason. Winner of that question. <laughs> winner I'm not sure question. I would have known exactly what it stood for. So this award is unique in that the books are judged solely by librarians, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, and the illustration prize is what we'll talk about first um, for the next about 20 minutes or so. And then we're moving on to the Carnegie Prize, which is the award for writing um, for young people. And there are eight books to talk about. So that's why we're going to get on to that fairly soon. But first, the illustrated books. Any clear favourites? Can you introduce some of them for us? Yes. Overall thoughts? Okay. It's a very strong list this year. Um, I mean, they're all wonderful. There's so many brilliant children's picture books that keep coming out. It's a sort of golden age for picture books, I think, at the moment. Um, We have eight books, and they go from... There's one non-fiction... Well, I suppose you might say Lost Words is a non-fiction, but I don't think it is, um, which is the story of the suffragettes. Um, which is a labour of love by uh, David Roberts. He both wrote and illustrated it. And the illustrations in here are fantastic. And actually, it's wonderful hearing him talking about how he made this book um, because he he didn't really like reading very much, doesn't really like reading very much. And, and um, for him, looking at the pictures was as important as reading the text. So the pictures in here of, of um, the suffragettes and the women and the policemen and things that happen are just... They're just glorious pictures um, and very uh, individual style. So this one is called Suffragette? This is called Suffragette, the Battle for Equality um, and is a, a, a very... It's quite easy, hefty. Yeah, it's a very hefty tome. I mean, it, he, he wanted it to be like a history book that he read when he was little. It's like right. one of those history books where you look through the pic- pages and look at pictures and there are little bits of text that you can see. But, it, I mean, it's just it's wonderful and it's just about um, the battle for women to get the vote, um, particularly in the UK, but at the end he talks about how it is in other countries. And um, the images are just beautiful, beautifully put together, beautifully made. And I mean, in the front cover, when they're all running, running to action, um, and one one figure is looking out at us saying, come along, come with us, come in here, see what's going on. Um, it, it's, ju- it's, a, it's a really lovely book. Um, I... I have looked at all of these with a group of year six children mm. uh, for the shadowing. They, um, the Greenaway and um, Carnegie Awards have a great shadowing programme. So groups of children all over the UK and here and everywhere else have been shadowing these books. So we've spent a lot of time with these just because of the time pressures. It's just easier to look at the picture books. Um, they they like this, but it wasn't. It wasn't their clear favourite. So I'm going to start... Uh, w- there's another one here called Beyond the Fence 
by Maria Gulamatova. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm sorry if I haven't. Um, which is about it's it's rather, it's rather a lovely book. It's a very simple story um, about who is kept captive in a house um, and his journey to um, freedom, I suppose. Um, not the illustrations are glorious and there's lots of depth to it, but actually, as a story, it's not that not the favourite. Okay. Um, You're safe with me. Chitra Sounder, who is a, f- a friend of the festival. Yes, I think she, um, yes, she intended. Yeah, uh, and this this is the only book, actually, that is uh, fairly straightforward in what it does. They're absolutely stunning illustrations, but it's a very simple story for pri- key stage, no, even foundation stage children. It's just about being safe before you go to bed with all these baby animals. But it's set in India, so the illustrations are incredibly detailed and beautiful and um, culturally appropriate. They look Indian. They're lovely, but it's not as deep as some of these other ones. Sounds it. Um, so that's three out of the eight. So none of those are particular favourites with the children that you've no. been discussing them with. Are we moving no, on well, to any that they really love now? Yeah, we're moving on to the... To the biggies. Okay. Um, so first of all, we've got The Wolf, the Duck and the Mouse, written by Mac Barnett and illustrated by John Classen. John Classen is just He's a, a genius. genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, really is. he is so funny and so clever. And and he and Mac Barnett have written a number of books together and they just, it's brilliant. So this starts off as, a, I mean, it, it, the colours are very muted and there's the wolf and the duck and the mouse and, and everyone expects and they know what's going to happen. And suddenly, it's just a twist on the on the story of a sort of fairy tale. The wolf eats the duck and the mouse. Of course, he does. But he he do. actually, I'm wrong. He swallows the duck and the mouse. He doesn't eat them. And so the duck and the mouse live a very happy life inside the wolf's tummy, uh, with their bed and their and eating dinner. I still I still <laughs> remember one of the spreads in the middle of the book. Uh, and they're sat at this table with a checkered tablecloth. <laughs> Within a wolf. Within a wolf. It's, and it's just weird and bizarre and wonderful. It's weird and odd. And there is... But the children, they always find it funny. And it is very... It's incredibly well done. The pictures are very good. The wolf who you think, therefore, is going to be really scary, actually, the whole way through the book, either looks miserable or in pain or a little bit sad. Of course or he bit does. scared. Um, and, um, I, I mean, there's a... There's a brilliant twist at the twist at the end. It's just it's just a very funny book and and has that level of irony and that appeals to lots of people on lots of different levels. They're, I mean, they're just masters of what they do. These two. Whenever we talk about John Classen and particularly because I think he's collaborated with Mac Barnett before. Yeah, yeah. Whenever we talk about those, parents tend to enjoy them because obviously when you've got to read and reread books to small children, it helps if they're you know, enjoyable for They're rereading for the at, parents. at doing that thing where they create the levels. Exactly. exactly as Mary yeah. Rose said, that they appeal to everyone. So yeah. you actually want to read it as a parent and it's not just, oh, no, it's bedtime. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that's the thing with all of these books, that suddenly we're moving away from that slightly dull, OK, this is only a child's book and it's about a bunny and it's goes into its house and it's snowing and it loses its mum and then it comes back. The sort of saccharine. These ones are just deep and clever and wise and have huge layers of meaning and actually um 
you know, you could spend a long time talking about these on a sort of academic level because they're, they're so clever. The illustrations are so brilliantly done and they work so well with the pictures. Uh, you know, they're, they're just an amazing art form. Do you I talk, oh, sorry, carry on. I, I was just going to ask about the muted colours, actually, because do you ever find that children respond to that negatively? Because that's something that they do again and again. Uh, they do notice it, and we do talk about... I, I mean, it's one of the things I ask them when we're looking at it, and I say, what do you think about the colours? And they go, um, and they always have something interesting to say about why the colour is as it is. And, you know, when they're in the tummy, the background is so dark, and it's a dark brown, and suddenly when they're outside, the hunter... Um, and the knight and the hunters wearing slightly different colours. They, they, because they find the story so amusing, they, they, it, the whole thing sort of works together. I think people make assumptions about what children like. And I think that what children like are interesting pictures that grab their attention. And as an adult, you sometimes think, oh, it's the colourful ones. And it's not. There has to be some depth. Yeah. That depth can be created by colour, but also by these little tricksy comedic elements that John Classen is a genius at. Uh, and they, are, they have a huge visual aesthetic, children. And I think it's easy for us to go, oh, we'll just throw up some horrible cartoon and some bright colours and they're going to love it because it's all simple but actually it, it, it's not their aesthetic is as highly developed as anybody you know as anybody else. Well if you think about it, it when they, their lives are less word oriented than adults lives so they would be more kind of focused on what they see than exactly. what they read. It's, and it's an interesting yeah. thing to look at. Yeah. I was going to say that I taught as an A-level course picture books and it was absolutely fascinating and my friend um, children's writer Wendy Medor teaches it in university as a course and I think people are getting more and more intrigued by the kind of interplay between the words and the pictures and just the clever things that are hidden within the artwork. Yeah. What, what other clever things are hidden within the artwork of the other books that you've okay. got? Because we need to move on. Yeah, quick. Right. <laughs> the next one is The Day the War Came by Nicola Davies, illustrated by Rebecca Cobb. Now, this, mm. is, this is a really important book. It was started off as a poem um, that Nicola Davies wrote in The Guardian in response to the story that in the UK they turned 3,000 children, refugee children, away. Um, and then she also had remembered another story about a child who turned up at school, a refugee child who turned up at school, and the teacher had said, you can't stay here, we've got nowhere to sit, and we've got no chair for you. So the child came back the next day with a chair. So um, it then became a big campaign, and lots of artists drew pictures of chairs, and it was... Um, and then Rebecca Cobb was asked to illustrate it, uh, illustrate the poem, and um, it, it is incredibly hard-hitting, moving um, book with fantastic illustrations pencil and all the children that look at it say gosh this is like it's very sketchy draw it's draw it it looks quite childlike somehow although it's that incredible i mean there's a huge amount of talent in here um but uh, i think the sort of juxtaposition between the rather simple drawings that look quite childlike and then this very deep dark not dark but important story about refugees and children um and and it works really well together because they're so different somehow it 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 but it fits well so it doesn't it increases the impact of the story the childlike pictures does that make sense i'm not explaining myself it well, makes sense to that, me <laughs> um uh but anyway the her she she just she just draws beautifully and there's lot there's just so much i mean the, when she draws the bit when the when the bomb comes when the war comes it's gray pencil so the whole pages are filled with this black and again at the end when everything starts getting better and the boy comes and says um now we've got a space for you in our school it's filled with white 
there's just empty space and there's a sort of contrast between the two there's there's so there's so much to find in here and ama- and the children often are the ones that find it too and go oh look and at the end papers at the fir- the f- first there are empty chairs and at the back there are children sitting on chairs and one child when we were looking at it said why do we say empty chairs when you look at that, you don't just say there are some chairs. We've said there are empty chairs. And now here are chairs with children sitting on them. But we don't say they're full chairs. They're just chairs. But it's the emptiness of it. Yeah, yeah. The purpose and the p- that someone's not missing. Being you know, that, that's, that's big stuff. It's, re- it's, it's really... And they um, notice. Yes. They notice these yeah. things. It's amazing. So that, that's a great book. Um, this is my personal favourite. Julian is a mermaid. The illustrations in here are just phenomenal full of life and um expression and color um and it's about a boy in new york and his nana and he just loves mermaids he wants to be a mermaid <laughs> who doesn't and um and, <laughs> and he, he meets them he oh, that's, meets, that's such and a he good meets image. These three beautiful women dressed as mermaids on the subway and then he goes on to off into this fantasy about what it would be like to be a mermaid and the colors and he's under the sea and um, and because the pages of the book are brown, um, they like the colour of wrapping, you know, that brown yeah, parcel wrapping paper. paper. Everything, all the colour comes whizzing out the of it. The turquoise is amazing, it's isn't fabulous. it? fabulous. Yeah, and Nana's white hair, this <laughs> cloud of white hair. Um, and, and, and there, I mean, again, there's, there are so many visual references in here. And in his, for example, in his fantasy, when he's thinking about being a mermaid, a big, huge fish swims up to him and hands him a necklace. And then later on in the book, out comes Nana dressed in a, in a dress, exactly the same pattern as the fish, and she gives him a necklace. And there's all sorts of um, really quite clever stuff about um, mirrors and windows and looking in and how you feel about yourself and what kind of person you are and self-discovery and acceptance. It's just fantastic. Although the children didn't have it as their, their favourites, mine. Mm. Um, it was one of my two. Yeah. So the next one that you've got, that was that the children's yes. favourite? Yes, Ocean Meets Sky by the Fan Brothers. Um, this is this is a wonderful. It is a wonderful book. And again, there's huge amount of visual references. The this colour. one, it moved me to tears when I got to the end. Did it? It, it? it, re- it really is that beautiful. It, is it, beautiful, it, it yeah. takes you by surprise. Yeah, the illustrations are beautiful. Um, the way it's put together is beautiful. The story is amazing, and it's about grief and remembrance and family and growing up and um, that bit when you're a child and everything's so magical, and and then you realise that actually how much of that is real or not, and it, it's just as important because it's all in my head, and it's it, it, it's just wonderful. And the pictures, I mean, every single class I read this to, bar one, and I've read it to every primary school class in the school, chose this as their favourite. Um, and I don't know whether that, I mean, partly because there's so much to see. The imagery is incredible. What's yeah. interesting is, that, as far as I understand, this is the only one that began life as a picture rather than as a story, which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, they were interesting talking about it on their website. There's a, there are lots of lovely little videos of them talking about it. Um, and the sort of flat perspective of when they get into the into that bit where ocean meets sky and these ships and um, whales are floating along and then you move out and the children are going, oh my God, look at this. this." On one double page spread, you're really up close to this huge whale 
and you can see the little boat the boy's in. And then the next page, you go further back and further back, and suddenly you can see how big everything is. And it plays with perspective. And I, I mean, it, it just is wonderful. You said this, uh, said you read this to pr- uh, every primary yeah. school class, um, and they all bar one loved yeah. it. Yeah. And you actually spoke to a couple of the younger readers, didn't you? Yes, those are, these are my shadowing group. Your shadowing group. So mm. Simra, Parvathy and Emma had some thoughts on both Julian as a mermaid and Ocean meets Sky. Let's hear what they had to say about Julian as a mermaid. I liked it because it had really beautiful illustrations and it's a really nice and heartwarming story and it gives a lot of emotions and different moods. I like Julian as a Mermaid because it has such a deep story and it has quite exquisite pictures to go with it and it just makes the story more enhancing. And Ocean Meets Sky. We picked Ocean Meets Sky as our winner because the illustrations were just outstanding and the story was quite heart-wrenching. Pictures were very nice and every picture gave something out to the story and you could, um, it was like very interesting. It was very interesting, I imagine, was how that finished. Yeah, Simra, Parvathy and Emma there talking about Julian as a mermaid and Ocean meets Guy. And then we've got the final one. Okay, very, very... Very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> the Lost Words um, by Robert McFarlane, Jackie Morris, Book of Spells. Um, huge, heavy, beautiful, gold leaf, thick pages, shiny. And it's, there are lots of acrostic poems about nature and wildlife and things that have now been forgotten from the vocabulary of children. All I'll say about this one is that I remember us talking about these, you know, the eight shortlisted books last year for illustration. And this to me is the Petra Horacek book that was really beautiful. The, the, the di- animal. The animals book where you had um, rhymes yeah. for each animal yes. and these beautiful illustrations. I give it to my nephew. It's like an, it was like an art book. <laughs> yes, it so really it was, was. Beautiful to look at, but the, the, the words and the stories seemed like they would appeal more to a grown-up than, than a child? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, lots of the children absolutely adored this. Really? It's so, clever, they're, they're, it's so cleverly done. And, and in the UK, it's been such a huge thing. I mean, they've been crowdfunding to get one of these in every primary school in Scotland and all sorts of parts of the country. Um, they loved the, the bit where there's, a, there's always a double-page spread for, with, an, um, with the, what it would look like if that particular, I don't know, goldfinch was, was gone with this empty space. Um, and the children just love I mean it feels heavy and magical like one of those books that you go into a really old library and you open the pages and it's got gold and you know it gives you that as as an art as a as an object it's so it is beautiful, beautiful yeah. um, so it works in a, in like a, a children, very different a way a coffee book for children yeah exactly <laughs> very quickly which do you think will win and which do you want to win um, I think um, I think Julian as a mermaid will win. Okay. I'm covering all my he- bases here. Um, and I, I have to say I want Ocean Meets Sky to win because I, all the children at school want it to win. So, And it's really all about them, isn't it? So I, I think then I can get both of them in. Although the day the war came is also very... <laughs> okay, <laughs> we get all of them. <laughs> they're all brilliant. They're all wonderful. Okay. Um, so we are talking about a very exciting uh, award in children's fiction. So there are two. One for illustration called the Kate Greenaway Medal. We've just finished speaking about that. And one for writing called the Silip Carnegie Medal. And it's unique in that the books are judged solely by librarians. There are eight to talk about. So let's get cracking. So with us in the studio, we have the wonderful Nick Reynolds. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, Nick, 
Nick is 14. He's been attending Dubai College for two years. You've lived here for five. Yeah. Um, and fun fact about you, you attended a German school in China, which is delightfully random. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, you're here to tell us your thoughts on The Land of Never Endings by Kate Saunders, which is one of the eight books that we'll be talking about today. Very briefly, to introduce it for our listeners, it's a middle grade novel, so for about ages 10 and up. Um, a girl called Emily struggles to cope after her sister Holly dies. Memories of her sister's favourite toy, Bluey, and the stories Emily would make up about him come flooding back. And talking toys then visit her from the land of never endings and moving nonsensical, magical and heartwarming chaos ensues. That is how I would try and sum up the book. So thoughts, everybody. Mick, can you start? Um, yeah, it's a nice um, it's a nice story about how growing up and how the toys of your childhood, I guess, could maybe end with such a shocking event of like their sister dying. But how that you can recover from that and they can still come back and you can still have fun with your old toys and things from maybe your earlier childhood. Yeah, what did you think of it, Mary Rose? Um, do you, I loved it, surprisingly, because I remember last year we talked about Weird Wabbit, which is a, has a similar sort of theme where the where toys come to life. And in, and even when you, in your description, I was thinking, this doesn't sound like a book that I that I would like reading. But actually, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think the, the cover doesn't do it any favours, actually. Um, but the I I love the depth of it, and I found it in, bizarrely incredibly believable because I thought the relationship between Ruth, who's a, an adult character in it, and um, the girl Emily is very strong, and I really enjoyed that. But it just felt very um, comforting, and it felt very recognisable, and it, I sort of felt like I would have really enjoyed reading it when I was. I I agree. I'd say that's one of the strongest points. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Nick thinks of that, actually. But as an adult, that's one of the strongest points of the book for me because you don't see that a lot in children's literature. A lot of it is trying to get rid of the adults really quickly so the kids can have their adventures. Whereas you do, in real life, you do get very strong connections and relationships between adults and kids. And I thought this was a beautiful, beautiful portrayal of one because they both understand each other so well because they've both suffered grief and they're both struggling to talk about it. They're both hugely imaginative people and they've lost more than just the person who's died they've lost the toys that went with them the stories that went with them and that's what's so interesting and that's the kind of heart of the book and I I think it's a beautiful book I really do. One of those uh, relationships is between um, the main character Emily and Ruth who you just mentioned. Nick can you tell us a little bit more about Ruth for for our listeners? Um, So Ruth lost her uh, 11 year old son the similar way that Emily lost her sister and so they both had suffered similar grief and Emily is sort of thrown at Ruth um, and has to get to know her quite quickly because um, her mother needs to go to work. So she spends afternoons with Ruth, but they get to know each other and sort of tell each other everything about their grief and how they're recovering from it. And it's kind of, I guess, it what brings the story to life and can make it sound more realistic because of that connection between sort of a children's fantastical adventures and sort of the adult, sort of real life. Um, so to have an adult as a main character in the story playing around with toys, I guess, makes it come to life more. Yeah, and and she's able to talk to Ruth in a way that she isn't able to talk to her parents, which I think is very interesting. And they, they have that connection because Ruth is able to just be upfront and speak to her. 
isn't also, she? Also, I think it's a really good portrayal of what happens when somebody dies when you're young. Because mm. I can remember being in a similar experience. And you do lose some friends because they panic and they don't know what to say. They can't cope with whether to be sympathetic, whether to be normal. And so the easiest thing is to back away. And so the book also explores a kind of change in friendships for Emily at the beginning as she loses Maisie Mays, who's been her best friend for years. And I thought that was very realistic as well. And, you know, how she discovers other people and slowly they come back together again. So, yeah, I just thought the relationships between characters, between parent and child, between friends was really well done in this book. Yeah, I, I thought that the, this book was at its strongest f- for me when it was talking about grief. So everything that was set in the real world for me was was quite strong. And it lost me, weirdly enough, because I usually enjoy the more fantastical element in stories. It lost me when it was incorporating the toy world into the real world because I felt like there was a lack of consistency with the rules of the world building which frustrated me throughout the book did anybody else feel that way or am I being Uh, fussy perhaps um, Mary Rose brought up the link between Wed Wabbit and this book which is interesting as they're both kind of Carnegie nominees year after year and I would agree I thought Wed Wabbit did the toy fantasy element more effectively because it was more fun it was more playful whereas the reason I think this perhaps didn't ring quite so true was because it was trying to communicate more and it was trying to build these metaphors that arguably weren't quite as strong a part of Wed Wabbit. I'm not sure. And the toad, the black toad. I thought the black toad was a brilliant metaphor for for grief and despair and how it enters this world where it should be kind of perfect and playful and no darkness should enter. And then you've got this toad bouncing around ruining things. How, did you find it um, confusing Yeah, it was almost way? like the mix between the sort of the hard world is what they were calling the real world mm. and sort of Smokaroon or the land of never endings where all the toys are. They did sort of clash and it didn't, didn't really work as well. But um, like Rachel said, it did work really well as metaphors, but maybe not as well as other books in the fantastical sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I also, it reminded me a bit of The Imaginary by A.F. Harold, uh, uh, mm. which I just think is that's the most... stunning book, isn't it? St- yeah. I mean, it, and it is ap- that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it, it's a masterclass in how to get that thing, to pull those two things together. And perhaps it wasn't as seamlessly done. But I think because the strength of what was happening in the hard world and Ruth and the characterization was so good and so believable. I, I mean, I, I cried three times at the end. I kept having to tell people to go away because I wanted to <laughs> Yeah, I, I wanted to read it on my own. It's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, same. And then when you read the kind of reflection of her life, because yeah. in the afterword, what it explains is that the author herself, Kate Saunders, lost her son. Yeah. And when you realise that, then you realise, first of all, why the grief elements are so compelling and believable. But also, it just it is so touching mm. when you add that layer in as well. Um, we can actually listen to Kate Saunders talk about that right now. The book was inspired partly by the stories that I've told about various stuffed toys in the family for a very long time, but it it definitely was inspired by the fact that my son died um, seven years ago when he was only 19, and although he'd long grown out of bears and his toys, etc., he had a lot of fondness for them, and I used to tell him stories every night at one point about his bear Curly and his penguin Pengi and he was only little but loved the kind of invention of it and the silliness and I loved telling them and it was partly to preserve that odd world and and talk about how frail it is 
that I wanted to write this book. Kate Saunders there talking about her inspiration for the land of never endings. And I felt really bad when I came across that in the afterward because I was I was moved by her depiction of grief in the book, but I felt like there was something missing in terms of plot and I wasn't that impressed by it at the end. And then I read the afterward and I just felt like a terrible person. <laughs> so overall, uh, is this one of your favourites? Do you think it should win? I, I don't think it shouldn't win, if that's if that makes sense. And I think there is so much to it. And I think it's a beautiful book if you have a child who is somehow either a friend is going through this or they're going through it themselves, as long as you kind of warn them in advance. It's a fantastic book. It wouldn't be in my top two, but mm-hmm. for me that's partly because I think some of the other books are so fantastic. Um, so we are going to talk about Rebound by Kwame Alexander. Rachel, can you give us a brief blurb or synopsis? Yes. Um, Rebound is a prequel to a book that Kwame Alexander's previously written called Crossover, which is all about this fantastic bo- uh, basketball player, Charlie Bell. And this goes back to him as a child. Mm. And it begins with him in mourning. His father's died. He's just kind of fighting against the world. He's trying to figure out how he feels about life, about himself, about his mum, about his best female friend. And when he gets into trouble once too often his mother packs him off to stay with his grandparents and he while he's there he's got this kind of he sees his grandfather as mean but basically he's kind of old school and he wants him to work and earn his keep and while he's there charlie's cousin roxy introduces him to this whole new world of basketball and a legend is born on the court nick this book isn't written in the same way that the land of never endings is is it no the writing style is quite different it's almost in verse it's not kind of um, the pages aren't really full. It's almost like each page is a poem. Um, it's definitely sort of a taste. You have to um, sort of understand how to read it. Like the first few chapters was a bit of a challenge to understand what was going on. But um, yeah, it's quite a cool new style of writing that I haven't seen before. I'm not sure. So this is one of actually three, three out of novels. eight, yes. or all in verse. Did this surprise you? Is this something that you've seen before, Mary Rose? Um increasingly more and more mm. it's coming and i i mean it, it, it i wonder it whether it's because um it's an easier way for to get into reading if you're not particularly a reader i mean jason reynolds who has written another one was talking about how he wanted to write a book for people who don't like reading and and you can get through it quickly because there's not very many words on the page and, and perhaps it's more accessible for people who are put off by a big that novel um and and it's an interesting way of putting your points across i i i really enjoy it but i it's a, i was a bit surprised that there were so many in this shortlist it's not a very british thing i think yeah. uh, sarah crossnan is the only children's writer out of the uk who i can think of mm. that does this and she's done really well with mm. hers and they're beautiful i think it's more american and i think it's kind of coming out of one of the authors is a slam poet and i think it's coming from those roots and that's why it perhaps is kind of connecting more with certain kids that they want to get reading i it takes me a while to get into it i have to be honest but actually two of my kind of top three were the verse novels and so i think when when you're inside what's happening then you forget that your your brain because I'm so used to reading prose that I think it works really well but it does take as Nick says a few kind of pages to get into the swing of how it's written here's Kwame Alexander talking about why he chose to write his novel in verse why not (laughs) I mean poetry is rhythm it's rhyme it's figurative language it's short you can say so much in so few words look at all the white space like that's, I think 
poetry triggers voice. It builds confidence in readers. I think poetry is, is a surefire way to get young people, to get all of us excited about literature. It's how I was taught. It's how most of us were taught how to read and write. If you think about it, when we were growing up, when we were children, lullabies, you know, fairy tales, rhythm and rhyme. I think verse is a really powerful way to tell a powerful story. So we've established that it's a unique way of telling a story. It's not something that we've read much of, but there are three of these books on the shortlist. But Rebound, did you enjoy it as a story, Nick? Um, yeah, it was a very good story. I mean, um, stories of sort of his family and the way he was sort of making new connections and new friends when he moved to live with his grandparents. Um, it's definitely very different from The Land of Never Endings. There's not really a fantastical element in any way. It's more like um, sort of a realistic book that's... Um, yeah, I guess realism rather than fantasy coming into the real world. It's just about um, how he's making new friends and how that could affect his life. Jamil, thoughts? Okay, um, I'll start off being positive. Um, basically, this is something that is, I think, an acquired taste, as you said. Um, I think it's amazing that some people are trying to get uh, the new generation to read better, I think, that he's smart in a couple of ways. I can hear a butt coming. <laughs> uh, first of all, putting less words on the page is a way to get people who don't like to read to maybe be teased into reading it. Um, and also doing it in a cool and I would say almost hip hop fashion, which is quite trendy globally. But I think the reason it doesn't resonate is the fact that it's I'm not a teenager in the hood in the US. Okay, you've and asked me for a rap instrumental and I have it here. So I'll say, so a, a couple of you said that it was difficult to get into um, and I was trying, so there's this thing of course called empathy when you're trying to read a book that you're not <laughs> in, you try to I get into the shoes and or mind of whoever's reading it and you think, okay, maybe I'll find this interesting if I see what who it's written for. I got excited when I saw some rhyming because now, and this is, I'm going to be controversial here, and a lot of poetry, when somebody writes a lot of poetry that doesn't rhyme, to me, it's not poetry. <laughs> um, they're just calling it poetry. Um, We're going to get so many poets texting yeah. <laughs> in. <laughs> um, but no, the, you have to at least have some form of word play in there, something interesting. It doesn't have to rhyme. But here, I think he just writes l few words on many pages, and therefore... It, it pushes the I, I would here's my suggestion if you were to put them in paragraphs many of them you'd just get a smaller book in can your I make a little Please point in return I think because it's basketball I think he's almost writing it like it's basketball so you can almost hear the bounces yeah. of the lines and for me that worked in a way again this is not I am not <laughs> in the hood by any means I'm many many years from being anywhere near a hood but I, I felt it worked because it had that link and it kind of and he managed to change pace a little bit as in you know it would speed up in certain sporting elements and slow down when he talked about his father but anyway sorry yeah, i did interrupt so i'm so saying i'm sure many people and I'm but, I, yeah, it, but also i mean i i think what, what he said was really interesting about the white space and leaving room for people to put their own story in it so i i like the sparsity of the words and I, I you know that rhythm and and if it if it had just been put together as a short story prose i think it misses everything but the way the words are put on the page and the i mean there's, there's a, some of the poems are quite concrete in their 
way they're put together. So you can see in some of them the movement of the ball because they've put the words together in a different yes. way. I, th I think it's cleverly done, but you're right. It, it is not necessarily intended, you know, because it's not meant for us. Yeah. Um, be, be, uh, where Although where it is meant for us is I love the fact it's set in the 80s because yeah. that is my decade. Yes, exactly. so There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.